2: Hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome back to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky. What a week it's been coming up on the show. Acting sensation. Papa S.E.A. News spills the beans on his brand new, brilliant Sky Max drama, The Lazarus Project. The wonderfully talented Tom Walker graces us with his musical Brilliance Live from the Top of the Tower. Exceptional actor Robert Glenister gives us the full insight into his gripping new BBC One thriller, Sherwood. Awesome author Charlie P. Brooks turns the pages of his newest children's book, the third installment of The Super Secret Diary of Holly Hopkins. And just a touch of utter chaos.
0: All of that and so much more to come. So, Ginger Jack, pray tell who's first. If treading the boards and starring in the best TV shows wasn't enough, this next guest can now turn back time. Starring in Skymax's new sci-fi thriller, The Lazarus Project. The Lazarus Project. The Lazarus Project. Wow, that, that was weird. Did you hear that too? Who might have the answers? It's Papa Esi!
2: Papa, congratulations! congratulations! Congratulations. What a programme this is. I know you didn't write it, you didn't direct it, but you're in it. And uh, you and your fellow cast members smash it. The Lazarus
3: Project. How the heck do you sum this one up? Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Um, Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a kind of like sci-fi, thriller, time travel, all of the above type show. Um, with emotional heart. Um, but yeah, we had an amazing time making it and it's really exciting that it's out there now.
2: It is out there now. The Last Project airing Thursdays, 9pm on Skymax. But of course, if you're into instant gratification, all episodes available now on Skymax <laughs> and Now TV. Now, Papa, you, I've told you this off the air. We've all told you, we've shared with you off the air. We get sent a load of stuff that we have to watch. We have no choice. Sometimes <laughs> it's all right. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's best just to talk about the catering when the guests come in. But you're, this is off the charts, mate.
3: Oh, sweet, man. What did you like about it? Oh,
2: everything. Loved it. Didn't know where it was going. It had a bit of spooks in there. had a bit of Doctor Who in there. It was funny. It was sexy. You know, it was relevant. You know, it had a bit of uh, Groundhog Day going on as well. Yeah, yeah. And I thought all the performances were really sort of, they were really edgy. Do you know what I mean? They're quite punk Everybody punks it up, mm. so there's an interaction between all the characters. But in a way, they're sort of monologuing. You know what I mean by that?
3: Yeah. Well, it was mad. We were shoot. We we were shooting it shooting it in the height of lockdown so we, we shot this like January last year so um, we weren't allowed to talk to anybody else outside so the cast became super super tight and close and I think that's what gives it that edge
2: Well, it's, and that's how it is isn't it that's yeah. that's how the Lazarus Project sort of um, massive go about their business so I yeah. suppose it le- the situation in real life lent itself to what you needed to achieve so your character lives in the real world yeah, yes. and then he finds out Something's going on. Yes. Okay. Uh, can you? How much do you want to say about that?
3: I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but I mean, like I've, uh, in in the kind of first fifteen twenty minutes, yeah, my character is called George, who's a very very normal kind of everyman type character. He's an app developer. Nothing extraordinary <laughs> he's about. He's very likable, though. I hope he's likable. Yeah, he's likable. But likeable. he's just kind of about his daily life, you know. Um, and um, but stuff starts. Uh, he, he has a great time for about six months, and then he wakes up six months back. On the first of July again, right. and everything goes wrong. And Then he bumps into um, a woman called Archie, who tells, her "If this happens again, come to this location, and I'll explain what, what what's going on." So it does happen again. He wakes up again on that first of July, um, and he and and he meets this woman, Archie, who who tells her, "It tells him that he's a mutant, and that he's got this genetic mutation, which means that every time time every time that time gets turned back, he's one of." The, 0.00001% of the population that actually clocks it. And that means he gets invited into this kind of top secret international uh, organisation that's uh, meant to stop extinction level events from ha- taking place. Yeah,
2: and then you take into this this building, which is sort of effectively the time machine. It is and it isn't the time machine. Yeah. It's the, pla- the place where um, whether the world needs to rewind, those decisions are taken for various reasons.
3: Exactly. We were kind of like quite keen not to focus too much on the time machine aspect of it exactly I think the physics wrecks your head right <laughs> um so yeah just accept that
2: <laughs> and I mean what an idea because you're listening to it as describing now you may think well that's going to take a leap of faith from a viewing point of view but it really doesn't and I don't know how you've achieved that you go yeah this could happen <laughs> um so the the Lazarus project is brought into effect every time uh, the world is a um in peril b has ended.
3: Yes, <laughs> so, yes, so. and and, he say, and they say, oh, it happens all the time, you know, like in 1985, <laughs> the Cuban Missile Crisis actually goes sixty wrong. odd. That's 1960 yeah. odd. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1980 something, there's uh, a war between Pakistan and India. Nuclear, bomb. Nuclear bombs. Yep. There's a COVIDs adjacent um, thing that happens like a year ago yeah. or something like that. So like. I think Joe, Joe Barton, who's the writer, said that he was in talks with um, an ex-military guy who says that we're always on the edge of World War III, not to depress people on a Friday
2: morning. Yeah, of course we are. We're, yeah. we're on the edge of everything all the time. But, <laughs> exactly. you know, London's on the edge. Manchester's on the edge. Exactly. New York's on the edge. You know, I can't believe there aren't more sort of gridlock situations in the yeah. major cities of the world yeah. because it, it doesn't make any sense. You yeah. know, this whole growth, you know, we must continue to grow. Well, in one way, maybe, yes. But in another way, no. (laughs) Enough
3: already. Let's look after ourselves now. You
2: know, chaos, man. (laughs) Um, There's a lovely moment when George says, well, hang on a minute, you know, hang on a minute. You know, with the virus, because it's very, you know, it's COVID-19, but they call it something 22, don't they, in your programme. You know, we we came up up with with a vaccine. And then, how do you think we did that? <laughs> in nine press, press pause button. You go, oh, I get that. And that for me, I thought, oh, that really weirded me out that bit. Um, so you're app creating every man, George. Yeah. And then has to go, has to, has to start training in Mortal Kombat and things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So there's this kind of like montage sequence where he's kind of like trying to learn to shoot guns. Yeah. And for, I've never shot a gun in my life. And if you don't know how to shoot a gun, you really don't know how to shoot a gun. So you,
2: you clearly were taught.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a bit of training for that. and But you kind of see him like growing confidence and really start getting into this kind of like uh, pseudo James Bond-ish type body, you know? It's like yeah. what happens if like an ordinary person gets in an extraordinary situation? It's so exciting. have you
2: ever thought pre this, right? Yeah. As a person, not an actor. Yeah. It must be great to be given one of these roles because you have to get in the shape of your life yeah, in order I mean, to carry them out. And was it similar for you?
3: Yeah, I, I need all the motivation I can get. Do you know I mean? But like, yeah, there's something brilliant about um, uh, having a reason to, you know, go for a run, or go to the gym, or whatever. Because otherwise, it's boring as hell, isn't
2: it? You're cool, mate. It's great to see you. It's great, it's great to great see to you. Be here. But what Could you doing again? Are you working? Are you working? Doing the other stuff? I know you just came off the stage, didn't you? Um, down down yeah. on the South Bank.
3: Yeah, I was doing the play at the Old big earlier in the year with Lenny James. You, you know, came, you came
2: in to talk about it.
3: Oh, did. he? Yeah, he said it was awesome. Yeah, yeah he said a, he said you were particularly awesome. He's he was, a good boy, Lenny. He's a good boy. But yeah, I've been I've, I've been working a couple of other things this this summer. But yeah, mainly looking forward to Glastonbury next week. If I'm honest, <laughs> that's something you can love see, it. isn't I it?
2: <laughs> um, Paul McCartney Saturday night. Whoa. Yes, yeah. You're not going to be there. Happy birthday. Well, now that you're there, if you can get
3: me in, plus okay. one. I'll, I'll stick in the back of my rock set. Love it. Love it. Uh, great to meet you. Lovely to meet you, mate.
2: Say it again, Papa As you do, starring in the Lazarus Project. Skymax All episodes available now.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky
0: Virgin Radio. All right, Tom.
2: Hello.
0: oh well done, pal. Thank
2: you. This is so good, man. It's so good, and thanks to Peace as well, smashing on the keyboards <laughs> there. Unbelievable. How are you feeling? Yes, all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're lively at the bleakest of times. Absolutely. You know me. You know me. Springing in with me step Thankfully, I. I do know you. I do know you. So there's all this talk about the second album yes. and what it might be called. What about Tom's second album? It's
5: a beautiful title. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Though, Absolutely is it? <laughs> stunning. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to beat it. To be fair, um, do you
2: have a few titles in mind?
5: Uh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna call it "What We're Made Of." Yeah, that's what the album's called. All right. And
2: yeah, yeah. um, when and how? When where?
5: Uh, I think the end of the year I'm not too sure uh, We've I've got about at least 70% of it done but right. I'm still writing you know you only kind of get like one chance to put out your second album and uh, I want to make sure it's right so I'm not really in any rush I'm just putting out singles in the meantime which is cool
2: yeah which is you know, what used to happen back in the day so the Beatles sure. used to do two albums a year four singles a year not on albums and EPs and things like that and why the heck not because yeah. it's it's not dissimilar now bizarrely um, the way Song's and music is consumed from the 60s, it's actually more similar than it ever has been because it's more accessible and it's more immediate. And even though you don't buy the physical thing necessarily, people are consuming it in such a prolific way. And like, you know, in the 80s, 90s and the noughties, that all slowed down a bit, you know, and there was this, it became more perfunctory and pedestrian, you know, this 18 months, we'll come out with an album, then we'll go on a tour. And now people are shaking up because you can, can't you? Because you get it out there.
5: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just put a tune out today and uh, I decided I wanted to put it out on Wednesday and it just came out this morning it's so, great isn't it yeah because why not <laughs> oh, I love it is that serotonin,
2: uh, serotonin? no no
5: that's another tune uh, it's called number 10 it just came out today um, so yeah wow yeah no it's a bit of a you. last minute thing like I looked on Spotify this morning the album artwork wasn't even on there it was a black square <laughs> I was
2: go- but I was gonna you know if you think about the way the world is yeah. and you know and there are a lot of people in in the creative industries whether it's movies or TV or music or whatever it may be they're, they're tearing up the rule book you know and you have to I think you have to have the respect uh, to know the rules before you can disregard them but here's, here's an idea you know maybe there won't be albums in the future why do you need to have an album out why do we need to wait for an album why can't you just put songs out as and when you write them yeah Exactly, yeah, why not? So I wonder how, how the future of albums will fare. Um, don't get me wrong, I love them. Of course. Yeah, of course, yeah, you of course.
5: Know. yeah, but you know, there should be no rush, no pressure. That's um, <laughs> the guy who's uh, writing his second album.
6: <laughs>
2: um, I, I love the story of serotonin that you played earlier. Um, you say you have been recorded as saying, I spent four years chasing a serotonin hit uh, in more ways than one, ironically. It's not sustainable though, you can't wake up happy every day and you can't have the sun without the rain. You have to find joy in the little things and learn to appreciate them.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, uh, during the pandemic, especially, I realised that I'd I'd just been on tour for like five years. And it's been this constant thing of just chasing the next high, the next high, the next high, the next big gig, always trying to beat the last one, never being satisfied with just how it was. It always had to be better. And then I just realised, you know, over the pandemic, Jesus, like... I've, I'm so lucky to have the people I've got in my life and I need to appreciate that a little bit more can't always be going around chasing this uh, unsustainable thing
2: but you also like night must follow day always night never follows night day never follows day you almost have to go through that in order to appreciate the yeah. fact that what you have so 100%. that's all part of it as well yeah that's the annoying thing about being a
5: human yeah exactly I can't say how good it is to be back <laughs> gigging and, and to see people in the crowds so elated especially in this weather to be at a festival um so I'm actually going to Glastonbury not to perform and it's the first time in five years that I'm just going there as a punter and I cannot tell you how buzzing I am to just go there and watch some music
2: see now because I'm me and you're you what I would do if I was you which is why you're you and I'm not right (laughs) I would take my guitar and I would get in the middle of the pyramid stage in between Performances, you know, and I would just leave a light on, you know, just before Paul McCartney on Saturday night, and that I mean, how viral would that go? If you dared to do that, right? If you somehow get yourself in the middle of all those people in front of the Pyramid Stage just before Paul McCartney's birthday concert, yeah, he's yeah. Eight, he's eighty tomorrow. Oh well, happy birthday to him! And he played a three-hour gig a couple of days ago with no break. Three hours. He's eighty wow. years old. That's nuts. So they're all waiting for you know, and there's always that lull, isn't there? Um, yeah. the, that calm before the storm for the headliner, Billy Eilish on Friday, and then you got Kendrick on Sunday, and you got uh, Paul McCartney on Saturday. Yeah. But if you're in the middle of the crowd, right, <laughs> and you just leave a line, and everybody, I mean, that's going to go mad, and also people would love it. That's what
5: I would do if I was you, which is why I'm not you. I, I think it. I might just go out mid-set. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really,
2: <laughs> really take on the challenge. Yeah.
5: Hey Paul, <laughs> need a hand? Yeah. He's
2: like, <laughs> Uh, So March, you you played eight gigs in March, up close and personal, sold out. I bet that was ace wasn't
5: it oh it was awesome it was kind of stripped back venue so between like three and 600 cap which was really really nice something we've not done in a very long time But again
2: revisiting the beginning
5: yeah exactly and you know it was mad they all sold out in about a minute and a half which was just crazy because we hadn't toured for so long but it was so beautiful and it was amazing to get back up to scotland because i hadn't been there in a long time to play and yeah it was it was a beautiful tour and nice to play a load of new material
2: as well well you know alluding to what you're referencing what you were talking about before it's important to smell the roses but when you play gigs like that you can actually smell the audience yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah
5: you can see the sweat dripping off the roof of the venue
2: (laughs) oh listen it's so nice to see you're just such a positive fantastic energy to have around it's Thank so you. cool man it's
5: a pleasure to be here thanks for having me on you're
2: always welcome Pete you're always welcome too mate um, <laughs> Tom is partnering with mental health charity Mind on a series of events around the country to raise awareness of the mental health crisis good for you excellent work and I've been sent a picture here of a Mind collaboration bench yes tell me about that
5: so we're, we're teaming up with Mind and they're going to build a bunch of benches to encourage people to have an open dialogue about mental health and they're going to be dotting these all around the country and so I'm basically going to do the grand opening of these benches and I'm going to go and do a performance or do a podcast or just chat to some people all to raise awareness for Mind Charity.
2: Aren't some wonderful people up to wonderful things? Absolutely. Including yourself, Tom. <laughs> I still think Tom's second album is a cracking title. <laughs> um, just, you know, I won't push it anymore. I'll submit it to the label yeah. we'll see what we get no, back. I- I'm <laughs> Sing a, a big fat no, Tom. <laughs> Pete, thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you. You're awesome.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
0: Virgin Radio. From creative con men to ice cool inspectors, this next guest wardrobe must be huge as he's definitely been there and got all the T-shirts. Starring in BBC One's new drama, Sherwood, which begins tonight, there really is no unpleasanter. Please say hello to Robert Glenister! Yay! Good morning, Rob! <laughs> I like
5: that. <laughs> we like Jack.
2: Yeah. How are you, Rob? I'm good, thanks. Great Very to good. see you. Great yeah, to yeah. see you, man. And you. Oh my goodness, me! This program of yours, <sighs> oh. uh, BBC One tonight, 9 p.m. Uh, it's so compelling. It's so chilling, and it's a true story.
6: Well, it's inspired by a true story. Right. It's inspired by um, two killings that happened in a small Nottinghamshire mining village back in 2004. Um, and both uh, perpetrators disappeared into Sherwood Forest, couldn't be found, Nottinghamshire Police couldn't find them, enlisted the help of other police forces, including the Met. Uh, And the Met came up and it rekindled all those feelings going back to 1984 during the miners' strike when there was huge division within communities, you know, uh, huge conflict between local communities and the police. So it's a story based around um, those communities and what happened and how riven they were um during that time and it sort of rekindles um terrible sort of um recrimination and betrayal within families within communities so it's it's not it's not it's not a, it's not a who done it it's a sort of why done it
2: really. yeah uh, it's beautifully put together beautifully Thanks. composed I and mean, what a cast as well just just I give a, a few of your your
6: Fellow I'm actors, miss a shout out. out now, aren't I? Really, I have them all. <laughs> okay, here,
2: in case here we do. go. Okay, okay.
6: <laughs> okay. David Morrissey, Leslie yes. Manville, yes. Joanne Froggatt, yes. Claire Rushbrook, yes. uh, Kevin Doyle, uh, Philip Jackson, Stephen Tompkinson, Claire doing Rushbrook. Very well, About, um, Lorraine Ashford.
4: Lorraine. Yeah. Lorraine,
6: <laughs> Lorraine, yeah. Lorraine, Perry. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's. I think because James is such a hugely respected writer. Mm any everybody wants to be in his work yeah and i think it was uh, it was logistically difficult because i think to have a cast like that um, everybody's doing other things, so it's quite difficult to fit everybody in yeah. schedule-wise. But it, is, but it worked.
2: It's so chilling. It is but the, the way it's put together. You know, it's mm. it's almost uncomfortable to watch because you think it feels so real. You know, yeah. And the rhythm is, is so perfectly
6: pitched. Well, it's got. I mean, Lewis Arnold, who directed the Lewis Arnold and Ben A. Williams, who directed the two, uh, directed the series between them. Lewis started it, and Lewis had done. Um, Des with David Tennant, and he'd done time with um, um, Sean Bean and Stephen Graham. So, I mean, he's I mean, he's 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 extraordinary, really. And he is one of those directors who has a has a vision. But and and I think. He just gets the best out of everybody. Yeah,
2: because you know, d- drama d- dramatization is a magnification of what happened, mm. or what could happen, um, or what's imagined to happen, I suppose. Mm. Um, and in that, you
6: can lose reality or, or the real nurse rather than reality. But he doesn't, and that's his genius. No, exactly. And I think that, and I think that the other, the other thing is, is that there are so many people in it, and everybody gets a fair crack of the whip. Yeah. It's, it, he, he's brilliant at integrating everything. <laughs> yeah. and also he doesn't take sides. He's not saying the strong. Strikers were bad, and the, the, those that continue to work are good. He has empathy and compassion for for both sides because that was the environment in which he grew yeah, up.
2: It's subjective, it's not objective. Absolutely. Uh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. All well, right, we'll get back to that in a bit, right? Because yeah, yeah. that's what you're doing right now. Let's Can we wind the clock all the way back, right? Yes. So this is your latest thing on the telly. By the way, you work around the corner. We'll talk about that in a moment all or right, two. Yeah, yeah. The most delayed theatrical production <laughs> in the history it of the is, world, absolutely. which is hilarious. But did you play the replacement drummer in a Beatles thing? Yeah, I did. So, so tell me about that. Was that, I like, went, in the no, 70s or something? it was back in
6: the... I think it was late 70s, early 80s. What, and did, what was it went, that? It was called The Birth of the Beatles, and right. it was this American biopic of how wow. the Beatles happened. And I went up for... George Harrison, right? I think, yeah. I went up for George Harrison.
2: Where? Where were you? Where did this happen? It was happen? in London. It was in Green for, for America. For American
6: right. telly, yeah. Okay. And I think they were. It's it's on pretty much at about three o'clock every New Year's Eve morning. Uh, every New Year's I've Day morning after New Year's Eve. Um, anyway, I didn't get George Harrison, but that bit up because I play the drums. They said, "Would you want to play a character called Johnny Cass of Johnny Cass and the Casanovas, who stood in for Ringo?" when the Beatles were auditioning for Larry Parnes. And I had one line, as a Liverpudlian, dr- this, this character, I had one line when they're looking for a drummer and I had to say, I'll sub if you like. I'll sub if you like, because it was yeah, you know, yeah. at, say, Liverpool. I watched the film and they dubbed my voice. But no, 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 I didn't mind that so much. But they dubbed my voice with Chris Fairbank, who's about as Liverpudlian as me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, it was it was so ridiculous it's one of those meetings that was overthought what do absolutely. we think about the line of the replacement drummer
2: absolutely, so yeah. there were so in that case let's 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 Beatle nerd for a yeah, bit yeah, shall go we on, go on. that means there were four
6: Beatles drummers yeah, so there was Pete Best Pete
2: Best original
6: yep there was the guy you Johnny, played yeah and there was Ringo. Well, I think this, the guy I played only did an audition because they hadn't got a drummer when they were auditioning. So I don't think he was ever a member of the band. Because, as such. because
2: I think, was it Mike Nichols who
6: filled in for Ringo when they went to Australia?
2: I can't remember. I think he's there, Mike Nichols or Jimmy Nichols? I can't
6: remember. Well, in, on this film, Pete Best was the advisor. No. So he way. was around a lot. Did yeah. you, so
2: you met him? Yeah. You talked to him. It was delightful. So that was
6: your first, one of your first big gigs? Well, I suppose so. It didn't feel like it at the time because I had one line and played one song. Yeah, but hang <laughs> <it> play, <playing> on. <laughs> playing a drum. It, it doesn't matter which drum. No, a drum and the Beatles for American telly. Exactly, yeah. Pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah it was. Robert Glenister yeah.
2: and lots of other amazing, great British actors on your tonight in Sherwood begins tonight, 9pm on BBC One. Thank you, Robert. Pleasure. Good Thank to see you, you, Sinead. Well done on her JB on the show. Basos and, and the team. Have a great Monday.
0: ta ta
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
0: Virgin Radio. Writing an award-winning children's book will be nay bother for this former horse trainer. His latest book, The Super Secret Diary of Holly Hopkins, Just a Touch of Utter Chaos, is out now. He's a man of many talents and very good at writing books. But will this one impress his daughter? Please welcome Charlie P. Good morning, Charlie!
2: (laughs) Good
7: morning. Welcome, (laughs) How are you? Great, great. So the third and final, for sure or not? Uh, It's a trilogy, so... Who's to say? I mean, there probably could be a fourth if the world clamours for it.
2: Well, uh, the Hornhouse House, although they're pretty much clamouring, aren't they?
0: Absolutely. When we walked into the kitchen yesterday evening and Barney saw the latest book on the kitchen table, his reaction was an absolutely natural, yes, like he'd just scored a goal. So I said to him it's the final one and he just looked utterly distraught. Oh. So you've got to do another one, right? Please.
1: For
2: people new to the party of Holly Hopkinson and her super-secret diary and diaries, because this is the third instalment of this trilogy as Charlie just alluded to. Uh, Let's go through the usual
7: suspects. Who is Holly Hopkinson? Holly Hopkinson is a a, a 10-year-old Girl and uh, her doofus dad loses his job in London, and they all have to move to a to the countryside to a farmyard full of poo and animals and and of course Beanstalk, her her favourite mate. I should say Beanstalk has just launched Beanstalk and Friends, her Instagram. Site. I know, I was just seeing it. Okay, she's uh, very exciting, right? Uh, but Holly has to survive the countryside with the help of a magic pocket watch, with which she can do terrible things.
2: Yeah, um, and terribly useful things as well.
7: So, Dad, you've just alluded to who is Mad Old Aunt Electra? Mad Aunt Electra uh, sort of arrives from Bohemia and causes chaos. Uh, Just as dad is trying to be a celebrity chef by buying the local pub, uh, Aunt Electra arrives and basically messes everything up.
2: I I think since we last talked, haven't
7: I met the real Aunt Electra? I I think you have, and (laughs) she's not very pleased with me. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, uh, she's everything and more than I wanted her to be. I know, I know. Sometimes, you know, the truth is is kind of more crazy than uh, makeup, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, you have to dial it down. Uh, Who's Harold? Uh, Harold, Harold is a sort of typical grumpy hormonal teenage brother that you don't want yeah Uh, and poor holly has to put up with this, you know, grumpy Harold who just scratches himself and picks his spots and, and hits drums. I mean, he can he can hit drums very hard, um, but I, I don't think the band are going to make it. Oh,
2: uh, well, we don't know. Well, actually, we've
7: sort of begin to find out in this book. <laughs> uh, right, Mum, uh, she's pretty cool. Cool as a cucumber. Oh, uh, she is. Mum computes to London every day, um, <laughs> dressed as a packet of vacuum-packed bacon. Um, and she's big in the PR world. Because she
2: doesn't want to give London up.
7: No, but she, in, in the end <laughs> (laughs) London gives her up she has a disaster uh, and has to leave her job and then of course she does what everybody does in our part of the world she sets up a a farm shop or a farm emporium as she calls it and of course in our part of the world we have Dalesford farm shop we have Jeremy Clarkson's Diddley squat farm shop so of course Holly's mum sets up a farm shop which is it most like Dalesford or Diddley squat it's it's a it's it would be a bit rude to either of them <laughs> to say it was like either of theirs because Mum's farm shop, you know, just has quite a lot of rotting vegetables. See, I haven't been to Diddley Squat. I have been to Dalesford. What's Diddley Squat like? Well, Didley Squat, I eat my breakfast every morning from ingredients from Diddley Squat farm shop. He has the best milk, um, which comes in a glass bottle, the best uh, butter with masses of salt in it, yeah. lovely eggs, and sourdough bread that's sort of um, fermented for years. Uh, so you know he has proper good stuff
2: and how's he doing with his parking issue his parking um, his request for more parking places not good see I don't get <laughs> that good. at all because you know, apparently there are 10 parking spaces outside his farm it's stock, insane and your your cars just to...
7: parked all over the yeah. road there's mud all over the road it, it's just ridiculous I don't what? know why they just don't let him park
2: Well, but what, what is their reasoning for, for not giving <sighs> him his other 90 parking spaces
7: I don't really know because you know I haven't been to the planning meetings I mean knowing Jeremy's probably trying to to build a 10-storey, you know, car park or something.
2: Yeah. Can't he go under? Can't he go down? Elon, Elon would go down.
7: Well, that's maybe the way they'll <laughs> that's go. That's the way? That's maybe the way they'll go. All right, so tell us about uh, Harmony. This is for people who are new to the book. Yeah, the so Harmony, she, um, she's, she's Holly's older sister, and she likes protesting a lot, uh, particularly when the weather's nice. Not so keen on it when it's a bit rainy. And she has lots of friends that she's met on the internet <laughs> that she's never met. Right. Um, and they all go off and protest together. So, so Harmony is kind of quite irritating, actually. All um, right.
2: Two but, more you know. to go. Uh, Daffodil and
7: Grandpa. So Daffodil first. Uh, so Daffodil. Um, she's going to be Holly's future best countryside best friend. Right. Um, she's a a little bit flaky if I'm honest Um, and her mum is Chipping Topley's worst and only interior decorator Uh, and she (laughs) charges through the nose and doesn't like people who take their builders into her shop yeah Um, and uh, uh, she and Daffodil always wear the same clothes Um, so they're deeply irritating Um, but uh, you know Daffodil does sort of come good in the end Uh, Grandpa we love now the fun of a trilogy is you, you plant things in volumes one and two uh, that then come out in three, and it turns out that Grandpa, who is literally the, the worst farmer in the Cotswolds apart from Jeremy Clarkson, uh, turns out Grandpa is a terrible farmer because he's not really a farmer. He's actually something much weirder. He is an ex-modern artist.
2: But he's confused. I mean, I don't know how much you want to give away. I, we can't give because he is confused for being something else in this book, isn't, isn't he? He is. It's, I mean, but, but that's right at the end, isn't it? Yeah, so we, we know, can't we give that away. I mean,
7: in theory, most children at school aren't there at 9 30 on a Thursday. No, it doesn't morning. matter though. I, look,
2: I know that adults like reading these books as well. But yeah, Grandpa, he's cool, man. Yeah, he is He's lovely. I want to end up being a bit like, well, a lot like Grandpa. Well, I, I think
7: I already am like Grandpa, to be honest yeah. with you. Have you created
2: him in your image, or have you now created somebody who you like so much, you, you are beginning to just want and
7: become like him. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I think I think Grandpa is the person I want to become. Charlie, thanks so much. Chris. <laughs> of course, some people can't be bothered to read books, so if you can't be bothered to read it, Claudia Winkleman has recorded the audio of the book, and it she really gets it. I mean, so Claudia Winkleman is sort of Holly Hopkinson, really.
2: Perfect. Love it. All right. Charlie P. Brooks and Katie Riddle. Uh, Holly Hopkinson, the super secret diary in physical form, just a touch of utter chaos, out now, or the audible uh, via the wondrous tones of... Claudia audio winkle picker. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Chris.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin
0: Radio.
2: OK, we've heard from a bunch of incredible guests already, but there's still so many more to come. Extraordinary engineer Tony Fidel takes us through his new book, Build, an unorthodox guide to making things worth making. And he should know because he conceived, invented and made the iPod our favourite pocket rocket. Lisa Bilyeu tells us how she co-founded the billion-dollar Quest Nutrition Bar Company via her new book, Radical Confidence. And Sky Sports F1's David Crofty Croft takes a pit stop to update us trackside at this weekend's Canadian Grand Prix. So let's get right back to it. Ginger Jack, who's next?
0: Needing a wee kick-up-the-behind? Well, this powerhouse of a guess is going to take absolutely no bee! And is certainly going to fill your boots. Her new book, Radical Confidence, is out now. Phew! I'm already feeling pumped. How about
1: you? Here to help you own your own life as Lisa Billy! <laughs> Alright, Lisa! What up? That is like the most epic intro. Can I just take you with me?
2: Yeah. You can. I
1: should have bought a bigger suitcase. Yeah, and
2: we'll pay for it, all his <laughs> transport.
1: Uh, how are you, Lisa? I'm good. Chris, this is so surreal for me. Tell us why. Come on. Oh, come on. I grew up listening to you. you oh, joking? my goodness me. This so is... you,
2: you're based in LA now. Uh, you married an American chap. Uh, you've been there for a long, long time. Obviously, you have family here, big connection here. You went to university here. And I bre- believe Marie Folio said you've got to get on this show. Is that right?
1: Oh, man. She's a good friend of mine. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. Well, this book is fantastic Radical Confidence 10 No BS Lessons on Becoming the Hero of Your Own Life by the lady in front of us now, Lisa you Tell us all, first of all, engage people with, with this this amazing company that you and your hubby and his pals co-founded. It's a protein bar company. It's, it's these little bars um, <laughs> that started off in your kitchen. You started. You were the, you were the packing department of one and then it, you went on to sell the company for a, like a gazillion dollars. Just tell us about that, first of all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was a very traditional Greek wife for eight years and I was supporting my husband, putting clothes out for him, cooking for him, and then... him and his business partners had a crazy idea to start a protein bar company. And as a really traditional Greek wife, I was like, oh babe, how can I help you? I'll support you. Of course, I can ship a couple of boxes. That shouldn't be too difficult. What I didn't realize is that the company would grow at 57,000%. And so that literally takes you from shipping bars one day to a year later, you're just growing so quickly. You have your own facility. And so each, every step of the way, I had zero idea what I was doing. I was completely clueless, but our house was up for collateral. So in those moments, moments where it's like you don't know what you're doing you've got the obstacle that voice in your head is saying stop doing it you don't know what you're doing you're no good like that negative voice I didn't have the luxury to listen I just had to keep moving forward because our house was up for collateral and so before you know it I've got a facility of 10,000 square feet 40 employees underneath me and I'm just learning every step of the way.
2: Uh, The chapters are fantastic so there are 10 Mm -hmm. you say there are 10 but there are 11 in the end aren't there? There's a a bonus 11. There's a
1: bonus yeah.
2: Okay Uh, make your mind up and making up your mindset now your your hubby was very early on this bus wasn't he yeah Uh, and uh, tell us about you and mindset Mindset's so important i think and also if you have the right mindset um, in the beginning it makes so many decisions for you you don't have to then exhaust yourself wondering whether to turn left or right
1: yeah exactly so fixed mindset is the person that says i can't do that that's impossible now what happens is that echoes your actions so if you think something's not possible guess what you're not going to even give it a shot but if you're the type of person has a growth mindset that means who you are today doesn't dictate who who you can become so for instance if some if you came to me today and you were like all right lisa we want you to do x y and i have no idea how to do that but you know what chris i will figure it out and just by changing the idea of something being impossible to i will figure it out propels me to take action and it's that action that then eventually leads to hopefully the dream or the life that you actually want So you tell this story
2: about figuring things out, you know, uh, from the off. And um, they do say leaders fix things and figure things out. And, you Mm know, um, uh, other people... tend to make prog- uh, uh, problems bigger and deeper and more dramatic because it means they then have a better reason, A, not to deal with them, or B, mm-hmm. to fail having pretended or, or sort of half tried to deal with them. You also, there's a great quote in your book, which I love. You know, if, if you big up somebody else and you say that, you know, that this person is amazing, they're like a superhuman, then that that's fine. But you can't do that in order to then get out of them becoming any good yourself?
1: Yeah, one of the most impactful quotes that I ever heard, I was in front of um, a woman called Lisa Nichols, incredible motivational speaker and at the time my husband was interviewing her and I was executive producing and I was in the audience in the back and she's just like, she's just saying so amazing things and everyone in the audience is crying and I'm like, wow, this woman is so amazing. I could never do that. This woman is so amazing. I could never do that and as these this thought is going in my head, she turns around and she's like, stop making me extraordinary to let yourself off the hook. I think that is fantastic. And I was like, oh, right. It's like we can, we use the excuse, right, that, oh, Chris Evans is a special talent, so there's no way I can even do it. Now, what you're doing is you're self sabotaging. You're literally telling yourself, well, you shouldn't even bother trying because you're not talented like them. And what that does, it gives you a reason. It lets you off the hook for even trying. Yeah,
2: right? you, well, there's a, there's a section of the book, you sabotage yourself, sabotage yeah, That's the way forward. Exactly. So give us some hacks on that. Then.
1: Yeah, so really, it's just calling yourself in your own stuff. So it's like, oh, I can't do that. Okay, well, let's actually break it down. You may not be able to now, but what are the things that you think are getting in your way? And to, once you call yourself in your own stuff, it's like it becomes difficult to give yourself that excuse that they out and that's the thing with self-sabotage is sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it you're doing it to self-soothe yourself to protect yourself and so by just asking yourself questions and calling yourself out on your own excuses gives you to me, the beautiful truth. And once you have the truth, now you can just act in accordance. Because if you hear the truth and you're like, I actually don't want to do that. I don't want to be on the radio for 30 years to get as good as Chris. All right, great. But now you know. Now you're not beating yourself up over the fact that you're not a good radio host like Chris.
2: Well, um, the words bad and ass don't appear on the front cover, but this book is riven with that badass oh, attitude. You're awesome.
1: Thank you so you're much. You're an awesome person. This Thanks, is it's
2: an awesome book. Lisa Bill, you. Radical Confidence, Tendo BS Lessons in Becoming the Hero of Your Own Life. Great to meet you. Thank you, you
0: too, Chris. You're awesome. You've got to get this book in your life.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
0: Virgin Radio. Never one to be scared of flying the nest, our next guest certainly is the Apple to my iPhone. His new book, Build, an unorthodox guide to making things worth making, is out now and here with the best advice. To make sure you're not up a creek with no paddle, here's the man who changed the world, Tony Farrah! (laughs)
8: Morning, Tony. Good morning. Wow, <laughs> high energy. This is great. Uh,
2: how are you? Great. Great, so, Chris. Born in 1969, and uh, that's how the book kicks off after your uh, intro, Build and an Orthodox Guide to Making Things Worth Making. And you just had to have your
8: first computer uh, in 1981
2: at the age of 12. What was it? How could you afford it?
8: Uh, so, uh, first computer was an Apple II, and I afforded it by, my grandfather said he'd match all the funds I'd make uh, for the summer. So, I was a caddy for a summer, and I worked my butt off, and the computer was like two thousand five hundred dollars in nineteen eighty one. It was crazy. So my my grandfather matched me, and I got my my love of my life for that time of you know, okay. Life.
2: And it was a brown computer, overtly brown. And
8: um, do you still have it? I st- I absolutely oh, do. Still have me. it.
2: Is it worth more than that now or less? No,
8: no, it's worth less. It's, it's like
2: a collector's item. It's not like one that. of those
8: very rare ones. No. Okay. Do you have a super
2: rare one? Do you have computer memorabilia at home?
8: Oh, absolutely. Lots of stuff. what kind of stuff do you have? Well, I have early iPod stuff. Of course but, you do. Yeah. But but no. I have things that are just uh, all old Apple II stuff like tablets for the Apple II where you could actually write and I have things that would generate sound and music like all this crazy stuff (laughs) like you you had to be a real real geek to have it Tony it's really exciting to talk to you I mean this (laughs) is Tony Fidel who made the
2: iPod and then as if that wasn't enough he made the iPhone all right so what happened between 1969
8: and 1981 that made you fall
2: in love with computers
8: well it was really I just took a summer school class right so I took a summer school class I think it was in grade five and it was there was no displays involved It was literally a paper terminal, paper, I would write on paper, like little cards, and you would bubble them, and I would put them into a machine, it would read them, and then it would spit out on paper the thing I would do. And literally, I was like, there's this crazy thing, I didn't even see the machine, because the machine was somewhere else, and it was a mini computer, and I was just making this thing do what I wanted it to, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing, and I didn't know what else to do. I was just like, and I just fell in love. I don't know why. It was just, that's how my brain works.
2: Okay. That was your true nature, I suppose. Yes. When you when you meet people who don't know what you do and they say, you know, uh, what do you do or what did you do or what have you done? What's it like to say I made the iPod and the iPhone?
8: Uh, it's, it's humbling to me, really. I just, I think I'm like, thank you. You know, I... I, I, I I had suffered for 10 years of just complete failure. You know, I was working really, really hard, doing similar things, but they never really amounted to anything, um, uh, you know, except for geek stuff. But to say that you did that and you go and you pinch yourself going after all of this adversity, you're like, oh, my God, thank you. You know, it's just it was just really nice because I always hoped I always wanted to be successful, but I didn't know that that would be like that. Well, this book
2: is brilliant. I read it yesterday uh, from cover to cover build an orthodox um, guide to making things worth making. Um, And it's brilliant because it's, it's semi-biographical. Um, it's technical, but it's, 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 um, it's in a vernacular that anyone, even me, can understand. And then it turns into this guide, you know, halfway through of how to build a company. And it's so interesting because, you know, one of, the, one of the things you point out, and I've come across this, and people who I know and love have come across this, you get really good at what you do. And then somebody says, you're so good at this. We want you to lead a department in this. And at that, that, that moment you go, oh, this is such an honour. And you're so flattered. And you say, yes, because you react and you don't respond. And you take the job. And then the
8: next day you stop. Doing what you're good at. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to just keep doing what you're doing and you're going to actually do a totally different job. And most of the time, you're not even trained to do it.
2: You're going to be. Running people Instead of your own imagination Ex-
8: Exactly And now all of a sudden The thing that you're best at You're not going to do at all yeah. You have to watch Other people do it And you're like oh, And you just feel like A beginner all over again So
2: there's tips in here I mean super super hacks From this guy um, About building a team Building a company How to spot a good idea um, uh, You also Because you're so wonderful <laughs> the be- oh, thank At the you. beginning of the book uh, you You give us all a guide On how you can read this book You can read it straight through From beginning to end You can poke around to find the advice and stories that are most interesting primarily for you. You can follow the See Also links sprinkled throughout the book, which are really, really useful. So when when um, Tony talks about something uh, that is also mentioned in the book further on, he then brackets that and says, oh, by the way, if you're if you're now hooked on this and you want more of this juice straight away, then go to this next page, which is all fantastic. But because you give a guide on how to read the book, can you give me a guide on how to interview you? Because I don't want to miss out the really important <laughs> questions. And by the way, I promise you I've read the book cover to cover. You know, I mean, I want a bit of Steve's Jobs juice. Of course I do. Sure, sure. I want to know about the early... Um, I, pawed, I don't know, but you're conceiving it you know, for those, because it was, it was incub- in this incubation period in your mind for those 10 years where you were failing all the time and then we get to Nest and your ski chalet and all that kind of stuff. Um, so g- give us a bit of Steve Jobs juice, first of all.
8: Okay. Uh, I think the the big Steve Jobs stuff is really about, um, you know, telling a story. Right. It's about telling right. why. First of all, how well did you know Steve Jobs? Uh, I worked for him for 10 years. I We would talk, like he would call on a Sunday morning, you know, that kind of so thing. You, you know, it was all a professional relationship. You really relationship. knew him
2: because yeah. people would go to him. You work for him with him and you did things for him and he also one day, you know, he phoned you up to almost beg you not to leave the company as well. So you, well, you had a very close relationship with him.
8: I, I, a close relationship, you know, he was there and, you know, uh, actually when it, we're pregnant, like Took me on a walk to help, uh, you know, say, here's what it's about like to have your first kid. And let me tell you wh- how it changed my life and how I think about So kids. the human side of jobs. Yeah, th- definitely. We'd had the human side, but we had a lot of professional discussions, both fun and some some very heated. Okay. But they were really great.
2: Tony, where are you going to next? When are you back in the States and Silicon Valley? And... So I
8: live in Paris. So oh, I'm. Go- oh, you live in Paris? I live in Paris. Good I've been there six, six, seven years. Actually, that's my inspiration for where I got, I penned up Nest. So I designed Nest there. So I wanted to go back there after, you know, after being in the States for 46 years.
2: Wow. It sounds like you got it sussed. Um, when was the last time you made a mistake and what was it?
8: Uh, let's see. <laughs> made a mistake. Coming on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, without a doubt. <laughs> I me I make, make mistakes daily. If I, don't, if I don't, I'm not learning. All right, mate. Great to meet you. Thanks, Chris. Thank uh, you so much. Tony
2: Fidel an unorthodox guide to making things worth making. Build is out now. And it is absolutely awesome.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
0: Virgin Radio.
9: Morning, everybody. Happy Friday. It's midnight in Montreal, and it's about time I headed off to bed. But before I do, let's give you a few highlights as to why the Canadian Grand Prix is totally unmissable this weekend. 320,000 race fans expected to come along. It'll be the highest ever attendance for a Canadian Grand Prix. And why not? We haven't been here since 2019. And I think the city, judging by some of the parties that are taking place already, has rather missed the action. Ferrari are missing a lot of the action on a Sunday at the moment. All their best work is happening on a Saturday. Charles Leclerc, four poles in a row, but he's retired from the lead in two of the last three races. And if he gets a fifth pole and doesn't win this weekend, he'll equal Nicky Lauda and also Juan Pablo Montoya for having the most consecutive pole positions without taking a victory the man that's taken advantage of course is Max Verstappen who looked pretty unbeatable once the Ferrari retired in Baku Verstappen thinks he's got half a chance here this weekend and so he should on these long straights which should really really suit that Red Bull car we've had a lot of rain on the Thursday there's a forecast for showers to come on Sunday too that should spice things up uh, we've got Lewis Hamilton seven wins and six pole positions, racing at a circuit where he holds the record for the most amount of poles and wins. But he'll be hoping his car doesn't bounce around as much as it did in Baku, where he was experiencing a 10G impact on his back every time his car started to bounce up and down. The FIA... Think that they've put a fix in place to stop some of the teams experiencing the bouncing issues that they're doing at the moment. But we'll see if that comes to fruition uh, by Saturday in FP3 and qualifying too. Certainly Hamilton and Russell have been experiencing some really bad bouncing. They'll hope that that goes away. They'll hope the Mercedes is competitive. Ferrari will want to be competitive in the race. Latifi and Stroll will love to delight the home fans in their home race. And if we do get a few showers, we should get an awful lot of action and overtaking too. So it's bon nuit, as they say, from me here in Montreal. Don't miss the race this weekend. I certainly can't wait for the
4: lights to go out. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
0: Virgin Radio.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget, you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast, and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.